Good evening and welcome to tonight's show. How are you all doing? Welcome. This is, we're doing Pizza Punk tonight. I guess technically live pizza. We haven't used that moniker in a long time because uh, all, all pizza is live pizza now. We don't do, I don't pre-tape these shows too often. I like going live. Live is fun. Live is, is, is fun and fancy and free. Um, so that's what we're doing tonight. And uh, we got um, we got a great show for you. Hold on, I gotta switch this on my Facebook. Boy, I'll tell you, I, I need to get a proper producer, man. I, I did the, too many, too many, too many spinning plates. Too many spinning plates. Here we go. All right, that's public now. Good, good. Hi, I'm here. Welcome, welcome to tonight's show. A very interesting guest. Been sort of on a special effects kick lately. We had Andy on the show. Andy's a special effects artist. And we have another special effects artist. This is Kevin. Kevin Moe is with us tonight. He's in the digital green room right now waiting to be let in. Uh, he's he's just chilling. He's having one of the digital uh, Poland spring waters that I keep in the digital green room uh, behind the stage, behind the digital stage. And... Um, and how did I meet Kevin? Uh, Kevin is one of those guys. Uh, Kevin, you know, we live in this day and age now where you just like sort of, you just network, you connect with people digitally in some way, shape, or form. But somewhere along the road, Kevin and I connected digitally. And he's just a really cool cat. He does really cool shit. I was like, Kevin, you should be on the show. And so here he is. He's here. We're going to learn a lot about Kevin right now. What's up, Hugh? Hugh Dillon is in the audience tonight. Um, let's bring him on out. We're going to ask him the question. Kevin's listening to me right now. He can hear everything I'm saying. We're going to ask him the, we're going to start off with the, the question that we ask every guest on pizza punk. And, uh, it's a subjective question. There's no right answer. And the question is, is pizza punk? And if it's punk, why is it punk? And if it's not punk, why is it not punk? Answer subjectively, Kevin, let's bring Kevin out. Let's Let's get him out of that digital green room. Kevin. Hey. Oh, hey. Hey, now. No one's doing? ever asked me that question before. Well, I would hope not. Otherwise, there, there actually, there is another Pizza Punk podcast I found out. I feel so stupid uh, naming Mike. But they, they came first, too. Totally, totally yeah. by, by happenstance. But it's true. Um, no one's ever asked you that question before. What do you, what, do, what, do you have an answer? What's your answer? Yeah, I would say pizza is punk. It's a, uh, first of all, it's a proletariat food, right? Uh, also, uh, people take it and make it their own, uh, depending on what culture the concept of pizza lands in. Uh, you can make a Hawaiian pizza. You can make a traditional Italian pizza. You can make a barbecued pizza. Kind of like back in the day when I was young, uh, it seemed like every town uh, that had a punk scene uh, took punk music and made it their own. And if you went here or there, you noticed, well, this, you know, Mississippi hardcore sounds like Mississippi hardcore. In Florida, <laughs> it sounds like Florida hardcore. You know, you know, Orange County sounds like Orange County, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I suppose uh, pizza is kind of the same, right? Yeah, no, I I love that. I love that answer. I love how you you related it to uh, 
you know, how there's definitely going to be some sort of bend or flavor to punk, whatever, you know, regional punk is in and around the country. Uh, I think it's still that way. I, 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 I think, uh, may, I don't know. May, I think the internet homogenizes things a lot, but you used a word that I am not familiar with. And I'm honestly asking because I don't know what it means and I want to understand more. Um, what do you mean when you say proletariat food? What is oh, proletariat? I guess that's that's my uh, my academic background, maybe. Uh, it's yeah, you know, working class. It's uh, it's got it's it. For masses, it's working class food. Got it. Got it. Okay. No, that's great. I listen when I don't know the meaning of a word or when I don't know something, I want to know. So I always ask questions. I just like to know stuff. So that's cool. I'm glad to know that. No, uh, no I respect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Throw that word out there in your next interview. I, I most certain. That's what I do. I collect words. I, I mean, isn't that the point? Yeah. That's what. That's the benefit of of reading, of of reading. Well, you know what I just realized. I didn't turn off the Wi-Fi upstairs, and I think am I coming in choppy on your end? Do I look choppy to you? No, no, no. Okay, all right. I think I? I think we'll be. You're a little. You're slightly choppy. Maybe I'll wait until the uh, break. When I do the pizza, when I do the riot stickers ad, and I will run upstairs and unplug the TV. I have a bandwidth problem in my uh, house that I have yet to uh, ultimately solve. Here, I'm checking right now. Let's see how, let's see how bad it is. This is very, as you can see, we're very professional here. Very, uh, uh, it's punk as hell. <laughs> it's punk as hell, dude. No, we seem to be okay for now. We seem to be okay. If if we run into any problems or somebody comments and says something, then we'll uh, we'll fix it. Uh, Eric says Eric's corpse says everything looks good to me, Jeff. That's great. Thank you, Eric's corpse. Um. So okay, now you told me right before we came came on live, you have one of the coolest last names ever. It's uh, really simple to say, but it's really complicated to spell. And I think that makes for the ultimate cool last name, Kevin Mo. That is cool. So that is Cajun French. Um, what? How? How? So your family is Cajun French originally, yeah, or I, yeah, yeah, Cajun French. I grew up in Southwest Louisiana, Vermilion uh, wow. Parish, um, and uh, spent my youth in various places in, in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, New Orleans. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's my background. Very cool. Very cool. It's a very cool. Yep. It is a very cool last name. Very cool. Thank you. Smooth. Thank it's you. smooth. First, uh, first generation <laughs> to not speak French in my family too. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I wish I could, but when I was growing up, they, uh, by the time I was a kid, the the adults would speak French when they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. The mother tongue. And that's why. I, <laughs> yeah, I never learned it. You know, it's funny. I mean, that's the same. I mean, that's the same thing with Yiddish in my family. My grandparents spoke Yiddish or understood a lot of Yiddish. My parents understood a little bit less, and I understand a little bit less. So we, uh, as each generation comes. We we lose a couple of words off the Yiddish. It's like a it's like a language erosion, a long language erosion that's happened over generations, and it's sad that it will probably eventually die out. But oh, absolutely! Um, I don't hear French happens. at all when I go when I go back to Louisiana. I'd never hear yeah. French spoken, and when I was a kid, I'd hear it at the post office, the grocery store, everywhere. Question: Was it? Uh, 
uh, for lack of a better term, was it sort of like a colloquial French where it wasn't yeah, like maybe like like fancy French or like, you know, it was more of a like a localized French, if, if you will. It was that sort of thing? it it was the French that was spoken when the Cajuns showed up in Louisiana a long, long time ago. Right. And it didn't evolve. So it, it's actually it's an older French. That That's my understanding of it. Uh, it's, Interesting. It's an older French that I, I guess did evolve in its own strange way. It became Cajun French. The only French I've ever heard that sounds a lot like Cajun French, because I do pick up, you know, a little bit when old Cajuns <coughs> are talking around me. I, I, I can kind of understand what they're talking about. But uh, if you go to certain parts of Massachusetts, actually, mm. you can hear a French, the 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 uh, the Acadian French around certain parts of Massachusetts, like Lowell, Massachusetts. The accent sounds exactly like a Cajun accent, and the French it sounds exactly like the French. But it's because of the, uh, you know, when the Cajuns. The French were taken down along the coast and dropped off in certain places. And one of those places was Massachusetts and another place was Louisiana. Huh. So there's a similarity. So, oh, so that's so I did not realize that. So, so, fr so the French in Louisiana are French by way of Boston when touching down in they're the new world. French by way, they're French by way of Nova Scotia. Okay. Uh, it was a uh, it was an exile, uh, basically. Gotcha. It was a bunch gotcha. of people being kicked out of kicked out of their place. You uh, know that well, and, uh, <laughs> right? Yes. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, what do you call it? A diaspora or, uh, di or, or uh, I can never pronounce this word properly. I read it all the time. It's uh, di uh, di not diphoria di. Diaspora. Yeah, no, it's diaspora. It is diaspora. Yeah, yeah that's the best and, way to say uh, it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there, there's definitely a connection there between the little pockets of French culture around Massachusetts and, um, you know, in the French culture in Louisiana. But uh, like we were just talking about, it's eroding. The, the the culture mm. is absolutely disappearing it's it's not the same place it was when i was growing up it's you know it's a weird it's sort of a weird double-aged sword in the sense that on one hand you want to keep you want to keep it alive because that's you know what came before but on the other hand and i think maybe not all immigrants and i think actually it's more subjective it's not every immigrant population but when you know some populations well, maybe it applies really when you're escaping some sort of prosecution um mm -hmm. wherever you go you just you kind of want to assimilate you just want to be accepted you want to blend in yeah. you want to be you don't want to be singled out as other and with that comes the stripping of identity and you know for 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 better and for worse in the sense of like we're losing what we are but at the same time we also you know again you just don't, never know what kind of population goes through what kind of trauma and therefore it's like oh well when i when i show this piece of myself people want to kill me and so it's better to hide it right 
and you know right. I'm going to hide it or that I'm going to scuffle it. Part. That was another part of me not learning French as a kid was by the time I was a kid, um, it was kind of a class issue as well of the people who spoke French. It was kind of an embarrassing thing that certain people in your family still spoke French, you know, because it was sort of a where I grew up. It was kind of a lower class thing to do is to to be a French speaking family. And that's ultimately what happens is that like it's like, oh, there's this thing about you know, my background that I need to compartmentalize or, you know, suffocate a little bit or hide a little bit or sort right. of separate myself from in order because I want to I want to belong. I want to blend in and people are not um, either enlightened enough or they're not uh, aware enough or they're not um, they're not enlightened enough to to embrace and accept what's different from them. And that's kind of the stuff. That's a lot of. That's a lot of people's immigration stories, not 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 just, you know, one in particular. Um, but you you mentioned that you were in academia or that you that you come from an academic background. But then you you made a jump back. Boy, into Right. Yeah. You didn't. You, you jumped into uh, special effects work. What what yeah. was that all about? How how did you started in it and then you left it and then you came back? What, what was the deal? Um, well, you know, like you, I'm sure loved horror movies when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the first monster that I really connected with was the creature from the black lagoon. Still my favorite monster, uh, best monster suit ever made, I think. Uh, but, uh, um, yes. so I, uh, as a kid, I bought the Dick Smith book and the Tom Savini book and did my best to, uh, you know, make my own monsters when I was 12 and 13. Uh, but then um, at some point in high school, I started reading more and discovered that I really loved literature and uh, sort of went down that path, which took me to college, then took me to grad school. And then ultimately into a teaching career uh, and a writing career as well. And uh, after nearly <coughs> 20 years of that, uh, I was growing more and more jaded with it, uh, more and more disillusioned by it, I guess you could say, by the politics of it, the, the, meet, the committee meetings of it. The, uh, there's, there's a lot to dislike about it. Uh, but meanwhile, I still had this hobby of making monsters, you know, the whole time I was I was uh, still in love with monster movies and all that stuff. And uh, I moved to Atlanta uh, where I was teaching, but I started to know uh, movie people because there's a big movie industry here in Atlanta and um I guess, uh, you know, uh, one of them in particular sort of liked what I was doing well enough to invite me onto a couple of projects uh, to make molds and things like that. Because, uh, uh, you know, that's part of special effects work and making sure. masks and all that is, you know, molding. And uh, I, w I was lucky in the sense that my friend Shane Morton at Silver Scrim Effects Lab hates making molds uh, <laughs> uh, can't 
And uh, so, you know, I was still teaching at the time, but he knew I was so sort of an amateur monster maker. And he just asked me to come in and make molds because I don't mind it. I like it. Uh, I like the whole right. thing. And, uh, and that just got my foot in the door, really. And I've, and pretty soon I realized I, I could sustain myself and uh, pay bills and all that if, you know, just as well working in movies as I could teaching. Uh, and so, you know, I said later to the teaching career and haven't regretted it at all. Um, what kind of, uh, tell me about the feeling that, that you get when you start to realize that the thing that's, that you're doing that's creative is actually paying bills. Like what kind of high is that for you? I remember the first bill I paid with it. Yes. It felt very strange. (laughs) It felt very strange, um, to, uh, to pay a bill knowing that rubber monsters that I made paid that bill. And then, you know, maybe six months later, I was paying all of my bills with that. And I realized, well, I can just, you know, I can just switch careers. It was still terrifying, you know, Uh, it was still terrifying to, to, to make a big jump like that. But uh, ultimately my wife encouraged me, uh, you know, recognized that I was going to be a lot happier just living a purely creative life and uh, you know and, and taking whatever chances come along with that and there are ups and downs uh, the older I get the more I think that that is like as long again you know predicated on uh, quite a few factors there are factors that come into play you know, am I responsible for other human beings? Am I responsible? Like, you know, there's like all sorts of things that come into it. Right, right, right. So obviously that comes into play, but um, with those factors aside, the, 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 the older I get, the more I think like, fuck it, you should just do what makes, whatever makes you happy in life. Cause you only got one goddamn life to live. And absolutely <laughs> like, like, yeah, you know, absolutely. like, honestly, like you just do, do what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting other people. And as long as you can uh, meet your obligations that you have to other people, whether it's your family or otherwise. And yeah. um, <laughs> God damn, like uh, I just love hearing stories like that. Just about, doing well, you stuff. know, the other thing, the other thing about uh, working with artists in the movie industry here. Uh, is that all of a sudden, like for the very first time in my life, uh, except for as a teenager going to hardcore shows, um, like I felt like I had a community all of a sudden because I never hung out with academics. Like I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to hang out with a bunch of fucking teachers, you know, um, every one of them wanting to uh, talk about whatever paper they were writing for whatever conference. Those weren't interesting conversations to me. So, you know, for, for about 20 years, I went in, I did my job and I came home to my family and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, but I didn't, uh, immerse myself in the culture of academia. Right. I was always very isolated, um, uh, within that culture. Uh, and, uh, you know, it wasn't big on faculty parties or anything like that, but 
once I was on a movie set uh, working with other special effects artists and then going back to the lab and working all night with the effects artists, like it, it really, it, it really created a sort of second family for me, like a real sense of community that I'd never had before. Now, do you know, you must know, I, we might've talked about this pre in the past, but you must know if you're down in Atlanta and you're working in special effects, do you know Will Zydema? You have to know Will at this point, at some point. Is it okay if I vape while we're doing this? <laughs> of course you can vape. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I figure if I can cuss, surely I can vape. I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, it's like not even, you're, it's not like you're in my house, like sitting next yeah. to me vaping. Well, like, I don't, you know, I, you know it might be a family show. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's cool, dude. You can vape. You uh, can do whatever. Yes, as long as, as long as, is, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, I cross paths with so many people. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to keep track of who I've met and who I haven't met, you know? Um, so I can't <coughs> say offhand that I know this Will guy, but I also can't say that I haven't worked with him at some point or been on a set with him at some point. He He's a great guy to know, and he's right in your hood. And uh, I, Will and I... Will and I used to make movies together in college and he's a dear old friend and he is really good at, um, at, at what he does as well. He works with a guy named Bill Splat Johnson, I think. Man, and, that's familiar. Yeah, Bill is down there. I don't know Bill. I don't know his shop very well, but I know that Will used to work, at least he used to work for him. And, you know, we had Andy, this guy, Andy on uh, Andy uh, Chavez, who great guy who's out in L.A. He does makeup for like Jeffrey Combs and stuff. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty rad. Um, but he was telling me I was I was we were talking about like he was talking about how he works in shops and stuff and like how it's way different to work in a shop than, say, be the purveyor of your own shop in that it's good to work under a guy or something. And so I know that Will worked under this guy, Bill, Will and Bill. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about that. You now you in this shop or, or under this dude, what's, what's the, what's. Oh, he, he's actually a guy you should have on the show sometime. Shane Morton. He's, Shane, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he started silver scream effects lab. Um, we also do a, uh, spook show at the Plaza theater every other month, the silver scream spook show where we, that's fun. Oh, it's great. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, and, uh, we do a lot of stuff around town as well. You know, like they were always out at the Halloween parade and little five points, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, every now and then we'll do something free for a school. If they're putting on a play or whatever, uh, we'll run in and put makeup on the kids and, and, uh, or even I got into costume once even for some sort of event at a, uh, at a school here in town. And uh, scared some children, you know. But, yeah. Ah, yes, yeah, scaring children. Oh, it's so, great. It's the best. There's nothing better. Yeah, it really is. I love. I, I love scaring my children. I scare them all the time. Oh, in good fun. In good fun. In good fun. But I scare them. Um, yeah. Well, we just did a big home haunted house at Shane's Shane's place uh, for Halloween, and boy, it was fun to make the children scream. <laughs> um, That's a great sentence. I love that. Um, hmm. 
did you so now i know that on on uh, at some point you were involved in with the uh the, ch the cheddar goblin yeah mandy yeah actually, yeah actually i have uh, a head back here yeah i, I see it right there i can see yeah. it in the corner um what tell me tell me all about that and i i mean i loved the the cheddar goblin is a great character uh how did all that business come about you know so what i personally find interesting about doing the cheddar goblin uh was uh wait wait kevin kevin before you get into it for anybody yeah. out there who watches this and doesn't know the cheddar goblin if you have not seen the movie mandy is a film by this guy named panos cosmatos i think is how you say his last name and he, he his father in his own right is uh he did like cobra he did a bunch of movies too uh, but he made this movie with Nicolas Cage called Mandy. It was when, you know, there was like a micro cage renaissance and a bunch of tourists came in and were talking about how great Nicolas Cage is. Of course, none of them have stayed. They've all gone by the wayside. No one stays in, in the cage zone. Uh, but this was a this was a, a particularly phantasmagorial uh, genre film that features this segment with this thing called the cheddar goblin and, and, and sorry, take it away, Kevin, but well, no, no, it's a perfect description goblin. of it. So, uh, I'll tell you the story about doing, uh, the cheddar goblin. I was the guy who, um, molded it. And I think I had some part in the, you know, the latex part of it as well. But, uh, Shane is the guy who actually designed it and, uh, sculpted it. And we did all of that work for, it was really almost no money at all, right? It was a last minute thing. We were working on a, an adult swim show called Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a lot of fun with Hen Henry Zabrowski. And, uh, well, Matt the guy, that guy is in a comedy, uh, the, the comedy of horrors anthology, which I saw you were in as well, which I just watched this Halloween. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, good head. Is that what is, is that? Is that the one you're in? You're in the good head. Yeah, we did that with we, yeah. we did that. We shot that at the lab. Uh, right. We oh, my God. That's the, the fucking get the fuck of out of here. Encyclopedia. Yeah, I, that's I where that. I was working. OK, yeah. I reviewed it for the channel and um, the, the the Shane character that Henry plays. That's Shane Morton. Like uh, Matt Sorbino. We all worked together on Pretty Face, right? Yeah. And Matt Servito wrote the character based on Shane with the long hair and the baseball cat, the that shorts with boots. Hilarious. Yeah. That is and, hilarious. Uh, yeah. That, I don't know if you hear my son's dog barking. That's okay. That's uh, all right. But uh, hopefully he'll quiet him down. So, so uh, yeah. Um, well, that was the beautiful thing about Pretty Face, too was we all continued to work with each other after that series was over because we all enjoyed working with each other so much. Like we just shot a movie with Chris Kelly, who was one of the creators of uh, Pretty Face as well. And I've, you know, I never really stopped working with Matt Servito and Henry. But uh, yeah, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to see the anthology film that it's in yet though it's on um, amazon prime cut. it's on amazon okay. prime go watch it it's great i i, I had will. a blast i had a blast that you know i gotta uh, tell you obviously you could tell it, it's uh uh you you could tell that 
that um, with 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 limited resources, these segments were all done so wonderfully. I I just I had a yeah. ball all the way through, all the way. It's so rare that an anthology will work for me for for every single story. But every single story, yeah. such Great. a oh, it was just it was it was it was really fun, really really fun. Um, well, we but, didn't have much money for our segment, but yeah, we made it look like we did because we shot it all at a special effects lab. It, so and it, it worked. <laughs> it yeah, worked. It, it, it we got to add all this value because we had all this stuff uh, to uh, you know to throw into the uh, throw into the mix. It reminded me of that episode. Reminded me a little bit of Don Rickles' episode from Tales from the Crypt, where. Oh, he yeah. has. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I'm thinking of the second episode. The second episode. What did the final The Good Head remind me of? There was something else. Um, in any case, it was really great. I really, really oh, enjoyed wait, it. Yeah, I was a limo driver in that. Did you, yeah, did you I, notice the guy? You know what? Yeah, the guy I, I have to the go limo. back. That was me. I have to go yeah. back now and watch it again because I did not realize that was you. But that's just so funny that that you are in it as well. Uh, but in any case, to get yeah. back, so your so your pretty face is going to hell, which is also a uh, Stooges song, by the way. I assume that they oh, took that. Well, yeah, that was <laughs> what I I immediately thought. Oh, this is going to be cool. It's named after a Stooges song, right? Uh, so um, yes. So the way the Cheddar Goblin thing unfolded was um, we were all working on that show, and. Chris Kelly um, had recently done a short called Too Many Cooks that yes, went viral. I've, oh, yeah. I right. love that. That's love all it. Silver Scream Effects Lab, too. Everything you see in it. Oh, my God. Uh, that's amazing. And 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 uh, Panos saw it and wanted whoever directed that to direct the commercial in Mandy, where you see the right. cheddar gob. And so we got a call from Chris Kelly, uh, also, his, also known as Casper Kelly. I think that's usually the name that you see in the credits, Casper Kelly, but he, we call him Chris Kelly for some reason. Anyway, um, so we got a call from him saying, like, you know, I've got like $500 to pay you or something crazy like that. Uh, would you mind? Uh, <laughs> doing uh you know in addition to all the crazy brutal work you're doing for pretty face because we were we would shoot all day go back to the lab work all night get a couple hours sleep go back to the set it was that kind of thing but we did it because we loved it so in addition to that would you mind doing this cheddar goblin thing for a uh but then he said for a Panos Cosmatos movie. So we're like, yeah, of course. We'd love to go go without sleep for 48 hours and uh, for almost no money at all. Because you respect the artist. Right. Uh, and, uh, but I, I got to say, I had no idea how it was going to be used. Uh, I knew nothing at all about the script. And... I had almost forgotten about it because it was such a whirlwind of activity. Like we finished making it on the set of pretty face. Wow. Uh, 
you know, not at the lab. I remember molding it at the lab, but I think we actually finished it while running back and forth and, and working on the show, the other show. And, uh, and so a year and a half, two years later, something like that, I started hearing people talking about this Cheddar Goblin thing. <laughs> I was like, I, I, like I, I, I wonder if that's that thing. I think that's what they said it was going to be, a Cheddar Goblin or whatever. And uh, I, then I saw images of it online. I was like, oh, shit. I, I, you know, I was one of the guys who made that thing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it, it was for almost no money. It was very, very fast. And what they specifically wanted was something that would be reminiscent of various creatures from the 1980s. So sure. if you look at if you look at the design, those are Yoda's deers, right? Right. Because uh, I, I remember the design sketches went through several stages, and each one got progressively more laden with references from the '80s, right? Until it was bam, that's what they wanted was that thing that when you looked at it, you kind of thought Yoda, you kind of thought Gremlins, you kind of thought you know, this and that. Uh, and then uh, I, I remember we, there was a screening of Mandy at the Plaza Theater here in town, and that's where I saw it for the first time. You know, it's that's one of those situations, I, you know, again, obviously everybody should be paid properly and fully uh, for the hard work that they put in. But that is one of those situations where it's like, you know, yeah, it's a quick rush job. Yeah, it's not enough money, but like the you know the dividends of of yes. of what that is and what that 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 feather in your cap is yes. may almost makes makes all the hard work worth it in that kind of way. You know, a little bit completely. on some level. On no, some it, level, it, it completely you know. does. Like I, I I simply couldn't afford to work for almost nothing all the time. Right, but. I have definitely worked for nothing at all when I really believed in the project. Like if sure. you, uh, or if I really just love the people who are making it, right? Uh, you know, that certainly happened. Uh, I know that uh, a movie, a short called Budfoot. I don't know if you've seen Budfoot. Henry I have not. Zabrowski again is the voice of Budfoot. Uh, it's on, you know, that horror channel on YouTube, Alter. It's, yes, it's on that channel. Yes, yep. Alter it's, is for again for people yeah. out there who might watch this. Uh, Alter and a few other YouTube channels, they're these very, very big. It's really big in horror circles, but outside of horror circles, it's not as well known. These are these are sort of um, they're YouTube channels, but this is where you go to get your short distributed at this point in time. You get paid, uh, you know, a, a flat licensing fee sometimes. And basically what happens is that's how millions of people watch your short film. That's where it goes to live forever. If you're lucky, you know, that sort of thing. And Alter is one of the premium ones. So that's great that it's on it Alter and everything. surprisingly high quality shorts on it. Like yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, really. There's they've got good stuff, but that's where it is now. You could if you go to Alter and and type in Budfoot. <coughs> what what it is is um, it was uh, 
I think the only, I think even Henry might've worked for free on that, to be honest. I think the only person who got paid because he had to fly in from Los Angeles was a wonderful artist um, uh, uh, named, uh, God, why am I blanking on his name? He's my good friend. Skinner, Skinner Davis. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with the art of Skinner Davis. He does like the Mastodon album covers. He's uh, good buddies with Buzzo from the Melvins. He's I know he's a Buzzo pretty well known. It's uh, cool. He's a Skinner's a pretty well known like psychedelic Cthulhu type monster artist. Anyway, he he was in the short Budfoot. Uh, and he plays a uh, toy maker who is slowly losing his mind, both from hallucinogens and also from the uh, from the fumes he's inhaling from the from the the materials that he's working with to make these toys. So it's basically a a stoner comedy horror short. But everybody involved in that movie were people that I love and respect i did all that for free so did shane in fact we spent money uh on materials to make that movie for these guys and uh it was a hot grueling week of hard hard work but uh we just we we did it out of friendship and uh, i'm really proud of uh you know of how it turned out and that you know regardless of how well it's received by others like i enjoy looking at it and looking what look what I did with my friends. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I can, I mean, I can relate to that. All my filmmaking efforts have been just sort of, it's more, it's not about commerce. It's always been about art. And that's the weird thing you have. Uh, uh, movies are that weird business or, you know, any of the stuff is that weird business where it's, it's art and commerce intersecting. And sometimes it intersects on one side of the spectrum and intersects on the other side of the spectrum, one side of the spectrum being art and the other side of the spectrum being commerce. And, you know, maybe when you go to like one of the, say, I don't know, like a Marvel movie or something where it's all, where it's farther along the line of commerce, uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, an art house film that's going to play at a few screens. And that's more on the art side where people want to work on it for the sake of working on it. You know, it's just weird. It's a weird medium, a weird collaborative medium filmmaking in that kind of way. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's uh, that intersection of art and commerce, too, I think is something everybody who works in the arts has to grapple with. Right. Because bills Absolutely. have to be paid. You have to keep your lights on. And um, sometimes you, you take jobs just to keep the lights on but in my experience you absolutely have to do those things out of love too uh yeah you you know i for me i mean this is why we do the spook show right nobody gets paid for doing that for me it's because it's that feeling of the little rascals when they say let's put on a show you know and those are the best episodes too because uh, you know it's it's like that excitement of yeah let's put on a show let's let's make a monster and do something you know and uh, it reminds you why you why you got into this in the first place. Sure, sure. Now on the flip side of all of that, 
you do some you do you make you have a very successful uh etsy business yeah yeah you I guys yeah. You guys do. I mean, you do. Uh, you you seemingly do extraordinarily. Well. I'm going to pull this up real quick. Hold on. You have this really cool. So much like our friend Charlie, who was on the show, Charlie Fitz, and he had um, we, we took a look at his crafts and what he does on Etsy. Um, Kevin here has his own proprietary storefront his of his own creations. We're going to pop this open. You can peruse yourself um there's a link down in the description of this video where you can click in yourself and take a look at some of kevin's creations here we have all sorts of wonderful designs uh referencing and obviously paying homage to um you know lots of different uh cinematic pop culture um iconic sort of things you have the Mr. Sardonicus mask. If anybody hasn't seen Mr. Sardonicus, forget that's a deep cut. Oh yeah, that's classic William Castle film. Yes, where where he, uh, um, dude, as the rictus grin face. Really great William Castle film that is yeah. not talked about yeah. enough. You got the Tingler over here. Yeah, that we got is a great film. Tingler. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I yeah, mean, it's I, fantastic. It's actually I love, scary. I love all those. I love all those. I can't get enough of Vincent Price. I'm just a Vincent Price maniac. Same here. Uh, I just really love him. And the just best, to, uh, the, the best movie version of I Am Legend ever done was The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Ah, uh, you're beats, you're a last man. Mega Man. It, it beats the Will Smith movie because yes. it's true to the book. <clears throat> very much is true to the book. I, I like that one as well. It's a public domain one. Uh, funny enough, all these films, it's funny how, how these versions of I am legend get thrown into the public domain. If you look at night of living dead is also kind of based on I am legend. So that was a direct also, reference to it. Right. Uh, written by Richard Matherson. And as you can see here, I mean, you got a lot of admirers. You've done a, a whole bunch of sales and you just make really cool crafts. We got, the reanimator uh, anatomical head tribute mask. It's a, you got a Nosferatu yeah. skull. This is really fun. Um, obviously, we have an ape mask from a very iconic yeah. uh, 20th Century Fox uh, homage. Um, you have, oh, and then this, the Twilight Zone stuff is just, my God. And I love how you did some of it in grayscale. So yeah. cool. Now, what, did you do Thank that on you. purpose because it's supposed to be in grayscale, or is you just like I'm not going to paint this? No, I, I wanted uh, I wanted to do both a flesh colored one, but you know, for my own taste, uh, you know, because foremost, I make this stuff for myself, right? The the shop right. is is uh, I I make the stuff that I really want to make, and I thought if if I'm gonna put one on my shelf i think i'd rather make one for myself that's grayscale uh and and i like the way it looks so i just added the grayscale to my shop sure sure it's great man uh and also you have the um the masks from that twilight zone episode where they put on the masks and they get yeah. their faces get stuck that way freaking yep, yep. super creative idea to 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 reproduce those um, this one might be my favorite, the old witch. If anybody read the old EC uh -huh. 
horror comics. Everybody knows the Crypt Keeper, but there are two others characters mm-hmm. that you have the old witch, which is right here, and you also have the Vault Keeper. And uh, they right. uh, they have their own unique look. And I got to say, this old witch is just so wonderful. I mean, really, it's Thank you. really, really great, man. Well, um, that's my tribute to Graham Engels. His, he was my favorite of the uh, EC artists. Yeah, it's just awesome. And, and we have a, a fiend mask here with a, uh, a, a lock, a, a devilish lock that goes down the middle. It's very interesting, right. very reminiscent of stuff. Right. Yes. If you notice, it's I was very careful with that devil luck skull to just call it a devil luck skull because I don't want to get sued by Glenn Danzig. I well, love Glenn if Danzig. you notice, I love his if you, voice, but but he scares me a little bit. Well, <laughs> if you notice, that's why I was saying homage mask because I didn't right. know what the level right. of this is it's like. It's not uh, a misfits mask, it's not even a crimson right. ghost. Right, right, right. That's why I want to use the word homage when I'm talking about any yeah. of these masks, period. Uh, the famous Monsters Devil Man mask. This is great because we've all seen that mask. If you flip through any old monster magazine, you've seen this mask along with the, I'm sure you're familiar with the Vampire Girl mask too. That's very popular. Right. And um, it's just, a, it's so cool to see it reproduced like this. What so? What do you do when you're making a mask? Take me through the workflow of of making one of these masks. How do you go about that? Well, I've actually uh, I'm working on one right now, a commission for somebody. It all starts with a sculpt. Yeah, uh, and um, you know, a sculpt can take you know anywhere between for me anywhere between a, a day and a month, depending on how how complex the sculpt is. And uh, once the sculpt is, uh, you know, in, in a place where I'm happy with it, then I do a uh, ultra cow mold of it. Uh, and uh, once the mold is set up, uh, you just clean the mold out, clean all the clay out of the mold and pour latex into it. When the latex is dry, you pull it out and start painting it. And once your paint job is done, you seal the paint job with a, a clear a uh, flexible sealer usually perma wet is what i use and most people use so you're hand painting each one of these masks yes uh, a, a, every one of them is hand hand painted uh i i sew the elastic bands into the half masks myself um i really love doing the shop i mean in a way it's where it all <laughs> really started right uh like the uh, I was doing the shop as as a way to pay before I was working in movies. The shop was how I paid for my supplies, right? Because it was a hobby sure. and it was an expensive hobby. Sure. And all the casting latex, all the materials cost a lot. And, and it was actually my wife who who suggested that I um, start selling <coughs> some of it to, to pay for this hobby. But then, um, you know, it, it, it grew beyond that, uh, within a year. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, I, I you've done a lot of, I mean, you've done significant sales. You've done even more. You've done twice the amount of sales that Charlie has done. And I was like, Charlie, this is fucking insane. I mean, to think that you are, that you're like, you're essentially a, you're a one man operation, right? For the most, most, most part. Yeah. So, I mean, this me. is insane. I mean, it's insane what you are doing and it's amazing how, 
you could take something. I mean, that's like, like, this is my favorite, my, my favorite thing to, I'm going to stop sharing this for a second. We'll go back. Oh. Um, the, you know, my favorite, my favorite part of stories like this are just like in general, like learning about stuff like this. It's just like, it's like, here's a thing that I love to do. I love it. I love everything about it. I'd be doing this. I'd be paying to do this if I, you know, or I, I, I pay to do this. And then all of a sudden right. you get so good and you get so good at your craft that at some point, you know, it, the byproduct is that you are actually starting to, you know, earn from your creative yeah. hobby. And that is such yeah. a beautiful, what a beautiful, isn't that like, I mean, at the heart of, at the heart of what punk rock is at the Absolutely. heart of, 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 of DIY, entrepreneurial you know it's it's self-actualization through do-it-yourself entrepreneurship absolutely in fact looking beautiful man uh when it with when it comes to the pricing and I, I was just starting out and i was trying to figure out well how am i going to price these the first thing i thought of was well i'm going to do what discord records does i'm just not going to be greedy i'm going to be very fair about it sure and uh I, you know, I don't have to uh, make the maximum amount of profit on all of these things. Now, gradually over the years, I've had to go up in the price. I mean, the, the uh, sure, especially this past year, because the materials themselves are getting way more expensive uh, right. every year. But uh, I really, really try to be as absolute fair as I can be and not be greedy about, uh, about how I price things. And that handcrafted, hand painted, handcrafted, hand painted masks, man. Everybody wants something that's artisanal. And that's what this is. It's all artisanal shit, man. And that's just what's so cool. You even did, you did the black flag, my war puppet, which is awesome, (laughs) which is awesome. Was that popular? Was do people were people tripping on that one? Yeah, actually, it's <laughs> it's fairly popular, and uh, I uh, I I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna like I've sold a couple to people whose names you'd actually recognize, but I'm not gonna. F- yeah, I feel weird saying saying who Un- it was, but understandable. I, understandable. I was surprised. Who, yeah, I was surprised who who wanted these damn things. Because, you know, like everything else uh, that's in my shop, uh, you know, I, I made it mainly for me to begin with, right? Like uh, uh, in just about every case, it was something that wasn't available. And then it, like the Twilight Zone masks, even those I when I started doing those, you couldn't find anybody else making those. Now, actually, the. Uh, I think a couple other people are doing them now. Uh, fairly big, uh, big companies. Uh, at least one big company is making them. Uh, it doesn't seem to affect my sales at all. Uh, but uh, you know, I made that because you just couldn't buy one, and I wanted one. Same thing with the Belial that I made. And uh, I mean, so, but that's so- how. Going back to you know, talking about Glenn Danzig and Plan Nine, and like just pressing. You know, those guys used to make T-shirts and. You know, yeah. that's why they made the T-shirts, because they couldn't buy them in stores. So they started right, right. them up. You know, it's the same, yeah. same philosophy, you know. And the thing about philosophy is it's sticky. Philosophy is sticky. 
And, you know, you know what else is sticky? Stickers. And <laughs> the stickers that I'm holding up here are from RiotStickers.com. RiotStickers.com is the official sponsor of the Fromis channel. And as you can see here, they have printed up several stickers. This is from a movie, a public domain movie called uh, Trip to the Moon. One of the, the first science fiction film ever created in 1902, a masterpiece. And Sharpie Riot, he printed up these stickers. He printed up the banner behind me. And you can see that's my face there. I had to put my own my own mug right. into the moon because I wanted to make it mine. And um, yeah, we we you can get stickers printed up from riotstickers.com uh, running a special promotion. It's uh, you can get a thousand stickers for $79. You're not going to find a better deal. That's seven cents a sticker. And you can only get it at riotstickers.com backslash from us. F-R-U-M-E-S-S. There's no promo code anymore. We got rid of the promo code. It's now just riotstickers.com backslash from us. You go there and that's where you're going to find the deal. You're not going to find it anywhere else. These stickers, they have a UV coating. Kevin, you're a smart guy. Why would you have a UV coating on a sticker? What's the point of having a UV coating on a no sticker? To, pr to a protect UV it from the coating. sun. Protect it from the oh, sun. Oh, oh. You got to protect your oh, image. So you slap it on your car. Sure. Yeah. Slap it on your car. They're also printed on vinyl, which makes them very waterproof. So, you know, ridestickers.com is a place to go to get some stickers. Um, like I said, seven cents a sticker, $79 for a thousand stickers. You can't go wrong. Ridestickers.com backslash F-R-U-M-E-S-S -S for the special promotional deal. We're going to take a quick 60-second break and play the riotstickers.com theme song from the guy in less than Jake. Just did you know, the laundry uh, can you hear me? in sixty seconds? Yes. Uh, oh, you fixed your Wi-Fi deal? No, no, no. I, I, I had to change the put the wet laundry into the dryer. Oh, so I just ran and did that. Whew. Uh, yeah. Real quick, I, I had wanted to say what one of the things that really surprised me about how uh, how well my Etsy shop has done was, uh, you know, I thought that my tastes were obscure you know like i didn't think well who else who would want a tingler you right know? uh and uh who'd want a um you know uh uh 
beholder hanging beholder head with all the eyeballs and stuff uh, other than me but you know it, it, uh, it turned out you know uh, other folks have my sure. taste as well and it's it's always really nice to uh nice to hear from them i also wanted to say i didn't realize this until after i made that black flag puppet uh but you know there's the my war album behind right. the puppet photograph and uh after i made the puppet just out of curiosity i uh you know pulled the album out of the sleeve uh, i didn't realize that i bought that album when i was a kid it's the album that i bought when the album came out and it's a first pressing oh, i wow. never realized it was the first pressing of my From war until 83 or 84 yeah 83 I think 84. I think it was recorded in, I might be wrong about this, but I think it was, might have been recorded in 83, released in 84, or recorded in 82 and released in 83. I'm not exactly sure. I the think, chronology. okay, I think it's 80. Here's why I think it's 83, because 82, they were in the blackout. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything. That's right. The court case. The court yeah. case with Unicorn. Then 83 was Chuck Dukowski's last year in the band before he was pushed out. 84, they did three records. They did Slip It In. They did Family Man. I, Family I remember buying, buying them all as they came out. Yeah. Hold on a second. Now, now we got to check. We got to go to the Wikipedia. Loose Nut, Black, uh, yeah. Slip It In. I remember a rush of albums one year or over a couple 84. year period. 84, there were three albums that were done, and yeah. that had Bill Stevenson on drums. There's a process of weeding out. Hold on, we're gonna we're gonna look this up. I'm positive it came out in 83, but hey, you would probably know better than me, but let's just take a look. No, no I got probably not. I, I have oh, how about that? Ready? Uh-oh, we got frozen. Did I freeze? Who froze? Son of a damn. Mm -hmm. damn he froze he'll be back come back kevin yes eric you're right it is 84 i was wrong so my war there he is yeah so yeah. you were right it is 84 okay yeah so Damage was 81, My War was 84, Family Man was 84, Slip It In was 84, Loose Nut is 85, In My Head is 85, and then What The in 2013. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't want to talk about that one. Uh, but uh, I just, saw Black, I just saw Black Flag uh, earlier this month, and it was not good. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. I saw it. Anyway. Check this out. This bill was... Total Chaos, The Dickies, TSOL, and Black Flag. I had to go. Yeah. I had to go. Yeah, I had, had already to. seen Flag. I saw Flag with TSOL at Irving Plaza, so I'd already seen what I needed to see. Boy, but that's a great, great band. Flag? Yeah, Flag oh. with TSOL was amazing. So then I saw TSOL with Black Flag, and I got to tell you, that guy, he is just that he's a Henry Rollins clone, man. I, I just was not, I was not into it. It yeah. just wasn't good. Wasn't yeah. good. Yeah. Not, not, 
not the black flag I want to hear. But speaking of black flag, right? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, black flag for me, they were, they were the life changing band, right? Uh, I remember as a kid, I, I was curious about punk and I, and I was listening to Sex Pistols, The Clash, Generation X, and I liked it, but it all sounded like rock and roll to me. Like it's just good rock, but yeah, I didn't hear much difference even in the sex pistols uh but uh i remember the way some people remember what they were doing when kennedy got shot i remember the needle going down onto the jealous again ep and the <laughs> words of the song it's as clear as anything and is that head. revenge does that have revenge on it yeah and, and it's uh the first track is jealous again yeah and uh, it's got jealous again, revenge, uh, no values, and uh, it, and I remember the feeling that I had was that's what I was looking for, like that's mm. the sound that I wanted to hear when I was hearing about punk rock. It was the sound on the jealous again uh, EP, that guitar, that crazy guitar tone uh god it's uh, it it was uh that was a life-changing record for me um real quick angus says who has 10 and a half inch uh i believe that was 86 i think that was one of the last things yeah Kara they was put in out the band and, and i i want to say bill wasn't there anymore either it was anthony uh on drums uh for the 10 and a half uh yeah yeah because bill, bill like is on the live 84 which came out much later but uh, yeah, I was never uh, crazy about Anthony's drumming. Like he was solid four on the floor uh, drummer. I, personally, for me, it's no Bill. Yeah, Bill is to me like. Uh, by the way, good to see you, Carpetbagger. Good to see you, Angus. Um, Bill, oh, I, Bill for, I, I met. I wonder if that's the Carpetbagger I know. I don't know. Carpet beggar, not carpet bagger. Sorry. My bad. Oh, okay. Beggar. Carpet beggar is a listener of a longtime listener of the show. Um, as is oh. Angus and a few others. Um, friggin', uh, Oh, you saw, you saw oh, black flag on that tour. My favorite drummer ever. He's, he is a um, drummer. I've ever heard in my life. He, he is a, an amazing drummer. We've spoken about him at great lengths on the show and, you know, what What really puts me in awe of him is really, you know, the power that he has in his wrists. He's, done, he's not playing with his arms. Everything that he does right. is in the wrist. He has such control. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, I don't know, I'm having a loss for words trying to explain it. No, the only person I could compare <clears throat> his that wrist technique to is um earl from the bad brains uh, yeah well he, also reserves his energy marky <laughs> ramon marky ramon is that yes. way as well marky ramon yeah. is actually really the the probably the the number one when it comes to wrist action i mean the way that that guy is not moving his arms when he plays yeah. ramon songs and how do you get so much the dress, power wrist. how do you get all that power you know what he does? And again, that's the secret to these some of these drummers. They're not using their arms. They're using their wrists to, yeah. to play. And um, 
the uh the how do they do it? Mark Ramon, he he practices in water. He'll put his hand in water and hit hit like that and stuff. I don't know how Bill Steve, you know, Bill Stevenson, when when they would practice as they would rigorously practice in, in black flag, and they were just they would just spend out he spent hours just hitting the drums with such he was he was heavily hitting the drums and it's in a weird kind of way it's almost like you're conserving your energy because you're putting more power into each hit you're not using your body you're not using anything you're just using your wrist yeah and um i'm starting to lose my voice a little bit <clears throat> excuse me um his you know what his, gets me about bill stevenson too is uh, how invent how inventive he is as a drummer with a very stripped down drum set. That is a minimalistic drum set that he's got. It's true, and it, it's incredible. You know, and I, I I don't know, but I suspect at some point he discovered that a stripping it down to the minimum forces you in some way to be more creative well i that's you, if you take a look when you take a look i don't know how much he, how much uh input he had in creating the the drum beats for say black flag songs but when you look at all and descendants and stuff you can see you can see all the sort of um i don't know again lost for words here not a musician uh, the uh, unconventional approaches to yeah. some of the the tempo it's under the tempos are unconventional and all over the place and he's not and yet at the same time he has such pop sensibilities which is what makes uh -huh. him so like the descendants are one of those bands they are so poppy and yet at the same time their songs are anything but they're almost like the antithesis of pop you know, right. all at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Carpet says, yeah. always see drummers shadow drumming when they are just sitting around off stage. Sure. Maybe that has something to do with it. But really, when it comes to the GOAT drummers, it is. It's Earl Hudson, Marky Ramone, and Bill yeah. Stevenson are just three. As a matter of fact, speaking of the Ramones and the Bad Brains, uh, next time you have out Road to Ruin, this will blow your mind. Next time you have out Road to Ruin, go put on the song Bad Brain uh, at, at I think it's 1.5 the speed, or maybe it's double speed. Okay. Uh, but on YouTube, or go on to YouTube and do it. So you have to listen to yeah. it twice as fast, and uh -huh. you will hear Attitude by the Bad Brains. Because the story goes, I've never heard that before. Okay, so the story goes, the story goes is that the Bad Brains got their name. They used to be called Mind uh, Soul right. Soul Power Mind Power and Mind got, Power Yeah Mind Power, and then they got their name Bad Brains from the song Bad Brain from the Ramones. But the mm -hmm. legend is that they were listening to the record at twice the speed. And they were like, this should be our sound. We should sound this huh. fast. And when you, when I heard, I was like, okay, I need to listen to Bad Brain to hear what they were hearing that made them say we need to be the Bad Brains and not Mind Power. And yeah. I'm going, oh my God, 
it's not quite, it's not exact, but I shit you not, it's attitude. When you oh. double, when you yeah. double bad brain, you will hear. I can't. Oh, I, I'm it. definitely going to do it. Yeah, you have to probably do it. right after we finish this talk. You, you let me know when you've done it. It's it was yeah. we did it on the show. We did it on the show a while back. We did a whole episode about it and uh, uh, a secret origin of the bad brains. And I was just like, yeah. that blew my freaking hair back. Um, ah. But I love shit like that. I really do. Yeah, same here. Um, but yeah, Bill Stevenson is, he's just, I, I sat when I was watching flag, when I was watching flag, I was just in, I was in awe of just his, him hitting. Uh, uh, and he hasn't lost anything like considering his age, his health problems. Yeah. His brain he is, every, yeah. he is every bit as, of a heavy hitter and tight as hell. Uh, still, I don't hear that he's lost anything at all over the years I, I don't know you know it's incredible to me it's you know what's funny um too is that when you watch him play he'll hit the drum and then there's like a pause before there's the next beat like he's just so it's like he's taking his time it's yeah. like it's almost like he's on cruise control i can't explain it i just i sit there i just sit there and watch him play drums for hours i could if i yeah, wanted well to. you know so this might sound odd, right? But there have only been a few musicians uh, that I've enjoyed watching live as much. And part of it is because of that quality that you're talking about. Like if you've ever seen a Billy Zoom from X yeah. play, mm. he has also a beatific smile on his face. He's he. It's almost like... He's just savoring what he's doing. He's not thinking about what his hands are doing because he's mastered his instrument. And he you could just see the pleasure he's taking in, in just, you know, playing these songs. And he just has this big smile. And Bill Stevenson has that same quality where I guess you hit a point where you've mastered what you're doing to the point where you just all you have to do is enjoy it, you know, and. Bill Stevenson always has that big grin on his <laughs> yeah. face. You know, yeah. While he's, uh, while he's playing. Uh, the Actually, I, I noticed the guy, I forget his name, but the guy, the singer, guitarist of Reverend Horton Heat has that same quality to him when he plays live. I don't know he's his name. I just always himself. assumed he was, his name is Reverend Horton Heat. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's. I don't think it is, but I forget what his actual name is. But there's uh, Doctor No, same way. Like he's sure. just got a big smile on his face, you know. And boy, and, talk uh, about players! Talk about players. Carpet says real quick. He says, "I have to go back and watch the first hour that I missed." I assume Kevin talked about his influences already. Savini's work in Dawn of the Dead? Question mark. Um, I do believe, oh, yeah. Kevin, you did mention uh, Savini's I did book. Mention Savini. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Savini, yeah, I've obviously. Savini a couple of times, too. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. Oh, Jim Heath is the name of the Horton Heat guy. Ah. That's why I love doing these shows live because you got people yeah. in the comments like Eric's Corpse or whoever. They just, just anybody. Angus does it too. Just, you know, people just pull shit up for you so you could just, you yeah. know, go about your conversation. Um, uh, about 
excuse me. As I said, I was coming off of getting sick, and I have a oh. lot of. Uh, I'm very congested. Ah, sorry. <coughs> Continue, Kevin, please. Um, I was actually thinking about a New Jersey band this week because I was thinking about doing your your show, and of course, you know, Misfits, the 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 premier New Jersey yeah. punk band of all time, uh, but. I remember way back in the day, and I want to I want to say it was maybe 1985, 1986. Um, I remember seeing another New Jersey band that was one of the best live hardcore bands I had ever seen. That they were one of those bands that came and went and didn't make a splash, but it was a New Jersey band called Sanded the Face. Have no, you ever heard of heard those of guys? Never. I thought you were going to say Adrenaline OD. I thought you were now, say no, but they, were, OD. they were a bit better known, right? Uh, yeah, they're more better no, known, but I thought that's who you were going to say for a second. And uh, yeah. I never heard of Sand in the Face. Don't know. Those guys I probably know. Ever, uh, I don't think they ever, uh, you know, did a whole lot other than maybe touring a little bit because I saw them in Louisiana. So obviously they were on a tour, but. Right. They were one hell of a live band. Now, like the music itself was, it wasn't the most original uh, music because it was hardcore, right? It was it was definitely hardcore, but it was just hardcore played to perfection uh, with a killer rhythm section. Uh, it was they were a three piece from New Jersey. I'm not sure what city in New Jersey they were from, but maybe one of your. Uh, one of your viewers might be familiar. I don't know, but I've never. I, was, I yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I always ask, uh, you know, people who were around New Jersey at the time if they had ever heard of them or saw them. But uh, I don't think I've ever met anybody who remembers seeing them play. Uh, but they were. I know they had a following for a time uh, in New Jersey, but. I don't think they ever got much beyond that, but they were a wonderful band. Don't forget the apple cider vinegar. Um, I guess, for, uh, you know, I used to take a shot of apple cider vinegar all the time, and it's been many years. I really need to get back to it. It's a very good, very good habit. Neblick. Uh, I've, I, I tell you, I've uh, used apple cider vinegar with a little with a little cayenne pepper and yeah. gargled with it, but swallowed a little bit too. And that really helps as well. It's just good. It, it, well, it's really good if you're trying not to eat after a certain hour too. It's just a really great way to just sort of lower your blood sugar and stuff. And um, I used to take it religiously and, you know, you got to be careful too. You can't let it t hit your teeth too much because it'll yeah. eat, eat away at your teeth so i always try to make Absolutely. sure I knock it straight to the back of my throat because that'll that'll fuck you up um yeah. wow it'll, it'll strip all the enamel off yeah it'll strip all the enamel off man i mean seltzer they say the same thing that seltzer is really not good for your teeth too all i drink is seltzer for the last 10 years it's better than soda though you know you got to make some yeah. sort of uh it's progress in the right direction it's not perfection <laughs> Progress, not perfection. That's what they say. Um, to go back to Billy Zoom for a second before I had this enormous coughing fit. Um, the uh, 
what's interesting to me about Billy Zoom as as a player is that generally, not all base players, certainly not the Duke, not Chuck Dukowski or Jerry Only, or you know, there's, I mean, maybe it, there's there's some except maybe this is more of a rock thing than say a punk rock thing because a lot of punk rock base players thrash about, but generally base players are very sort of uh, statuesque on the stage. Mm-hmm. In, in a very grossly generalized way, I say that. But, um, and usually a guitar player is the one that's sort of, you know, peacocking around with their guitar and doing their guitar thing. But X is a different animal because Billy Zoom, Entirely. Billy Zoom is the bass player and he's the one that's all lively and thrashing about with his bass. And it's no, no, Billy Zoom. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The, uh... No, no, no. John Doe is what I meant yeah. to say. John Doe is is thrashing around with his bass, and Billy Zoom uh has that wide leg. He does this well, not anymore, not as an older man, but yeah. when he was younger, he had that wide one legged one spot, yeah. wide legged stance, like an X. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and he would just stand there in place playing his guitar and you know, he may have been standing still, but boy, those hands were lightning fast up and down yeah. the neck and whatnot. Even as an old man, when he's sitting on kind of on a stool, you know, to yeah. do what he needs to do. I saw them in, when did I see? I saw X in maybe 2016. They came through, uh, played in Irving Plaza. And John Doe, yeah. And you have John Doe up front, just, you know, thrashing about. And, um, it's just funny that that exchange of of bass player guitar player energy that is usually reversed, yeah. and yeah, um, really yeah. Zoom was always the one I couldn't keep my eyes off of too because he he just he he would just stand in there, but somehow it was mesmerizing to me always. Uh, his just uh, and you know he has obviously I don't know if, it's not like a rockabilly tilt, but he has like a sort of like a fifties rock and roll approach to some of the guitar playing that he's doing yeah. and you know his chord i don't know the chords that he does are like 50s rock chords but done through punk rock i guess would be the best way to put it and um <clears throat> yeah but he's doing i mean he's doing a lot he's he's doing a lot he's really carrying he's sort it's funny the guitar kind of drives the songs in in x very yeah, much in a, in a way that the rhythm section would usually carry it right he, he does seem to be doing that part of the job too well i and mean playing you know, lead. sure yeah he'll 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 he's like john christ in danzig i mean he's playing he's going from from driving the he's driving the the instruments with his with his rhythm guitar playing but then he'll he'll pop into he'll find a little pocket to do this like crazy lead work yeah. You know, and then go right back to, you know, like I'm thinking of like the hungry wolf is a great example yeah. of something like yeah. that, you know, where he's just he's he's leading us with his with the, with that riff. And then all of a sudden he slips into that crazy solo. And uh, man, those first three records are like uh, immaculate to me. I, I love them oh, yeah. top to bottom. Yeah, um, I never got into the fourth record, and I just didn't really sort of lost interest after those first three records. But those first three records, every single track, especially under the Big Black Sun, for me is like that is my record. Yeah, that Lead Belly co- cover that they do is so yeah. good. 
Um, yeah. Because I do. Oh my God. So many great songs. Blue Spark. Um, I just, I love that friggin' band. I really do. I mean, all three out, al- all three of those albums, uh, Los Angeles and wild gift to yeah. adult books. Yeah, oh I my think God. At some point, like, I, you know, it, it's inevitable that at some point that part of a great band's career ends when, you know, you could say those first three albums. Like for me, that's how the descendants are, those first three albums, right? And then I kind of lose interest after that. Uh, but, you know, there's, uh, I guess that part just has to end at some point because I, I think what you're hearing is, the sound of invention, you know, it, it's it's the creative sound of a band inventing itself. And once a band is invented, I mean, I'm not sure you could reinvent yourself as some bands do, but uh, but I think that part of a band's career necessarily has to end at some point, you know. And you know, some- it's. It's funny you bring that up, and I really like the way that you put it. I think it's it's so again, I think it really it's incredibly subjective because here's the bottom line. There are uh Angus says never saw X, but saw a band, saw Exene in a band, the seven shot sinners. Never heard of them in the Not early two thousands. Hmm, that's cool. Um, there are some bands that have one great album in them and it's usually the the, their first album there's some bands that have a finite amount of songs there are some bands that just when it's the right when the you know that that core creative team remains intact and it's not just like the lead singer with a new backing band every you know going out on tours doing the same you know 12 songs from that debut album where no one else is around you know, when it's like yeah. the core is really intact and they just keep out, they keep like reinventing themselves and putting out new music. I argue, again, a band like TSOL, every time they put out a record, it's super interesting. They're always, they're, they're yeah. true, they're true journeymen in trying to find yeah. a new sound. Actually, you know, for me, uh, the band <coughs> like that, actually, I'm wearing the shirt. Uh, the Damned is a band like that. For Great me. example. Yeah. Great example of a band that, the damned never had a finite amount of songs. They, they have always just been putting out yeah. interesting stuff. There's always right. something. They're one of the few bands that I am just as interesting interested in hearing what their new album sounds like. Right, standing on the edge of tomorrow. Standing yeah. on the edge of tomorrow. That was a great yeah. single from their I've new album. I've never been disappointed by a damned album. So you know, strawberries. Oh. Yeah. Uh, freaking the black album. I mean, like in the eighties, yeah. this is when like all the other punk bands are petering out and the damned are like, Nope, we're just going to get into the ride. Yeah. We're going to like get really into like clavicle organs and like get really yes. gothy and like just yeah. do weird shit, you know, and just experiment. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, they're, uh, I mean, for me, they're my favorite of all of those, uh, you know, 1977 English punk bands. For me, the damned hands down is the best of all of those bands. Right on, right on. I mean, um, just so many greats. I mean, really so many great songs. And again, so many, the band slightly, you know, changes, you know, Brian James leaves, 
Captain goes out, moves to guitar, changes sort of right. the whole dynamic, changes some of the sound. I mean, they just they they just were um they just are they they are this ever evolving thing. When they when they were on Nitro Records, they had that uh, that song Democ- Democracy was really good. From uh, what was the two? Th- I think the album is called Democracy. No, it's not. Is it? What's the album from two thousand one that a couple? Oh, I can't songs remember. Um, I Grave can't. Disorder. It's called Grave Disorder. That's uh, what it was called. Um, they just you know yes, they're always pound for pound. So you have bands like that that are just always out there, and then. You have some bands that just, yes, they just like, they have this, like, they have this window where they're going to create their really great shit that stands the test of time, but everything that they do afterwards is not going to be great. And then you have some bands. Here's the worst scenario where, again, I love the Pixies. They're one of my favorite bands ever. I, I just love, love, love the Pixies. And um, they have this weird problem where, you know, they broke up and they reunited and... Uh, you know, every single song they put out in their original period, they put out five albums. These th- these five albums are, again, talking about immaculate. I love every song top to bottom, love their entitled. When I listen to the Pixies, I don't listen to songs. I just listen to the whole album start to finish, and I'll listen all the way through their whole discography. That's how I do it. Yep. And then and they were they were very good at creating an album, too. Like the, Very the, good. The consistency of what, a, you know, from start to finish what an album is or what an album used to be back when there were albums as a cohesive work of art. Like that's how they, they were one of those bands or each album had a stamp on it. It was cohesive. Yep. And then what happened was they broke up for whatever, for their reasons that they broke up and Frank black, who was pretty much the sole uh, songwriter, he went off and he started writing and he started to grow and develop as an artist. And he went in an an entirely other direction. And what happened was they reformed the band and they're like, well, we got to start making music again. But the problem is how do you go back to writing like the Pixies when you've had an entire solo career and you're the sole songwriter of the band? So now these Pixies albums that they've been doing recently. I like the Pixies 2.0. There's a bunch of stuff they put out that I really love. But the problem is, is that every other song, and it's literally every other song, sounds like a Frank Black song as opposed to a Black Francis Pixie song. Black yeah. Francis inverted his name to Frank Black when he became a solo artist. And now when you hear Frank Black when you hear Black Francis singing now, he changed his name back when he went back to the Pixies to differentiate. This is now me back in the band period, but yet yeah. they're playing a song. I'm like, this doesn't sound like a Pixie song. This sounds like a Frank Black song. So you can't. Huh. So we have this weird and, you know, they put out a very cohesive album called Beneath the Eerie, which came out in 2019. And that's probably the closest that they've come to in a return to form. They've done four. I think they've done yeah, this is their fourth new album together as a band and with the new with without Kim Deal. And it's just not it's not the same. And part of the reason is because he's trying to write Pixies material. It's the same thing. The, the eternal question, what what a new Misfits album would sound like. It wouldn't yeah. sound good at all because it would just be Glenn Danzig writing right. whatever Black Lady Crown you know, the, the yeah. follow up the black blade and crown would be, and it would be just not good. Yeah. It would just not, it would just be yeah. dancing going, Oh, skull forest. 
Yeah. Skull Forest. Yeah. He's not going to write like that anymore. The only way you're going to get a good Misfits album is if you take Glenn Danzig arrangements from the 70s and unreleased Glenn Danzig songs and you re record them. And that's the way you're going to get an interesting sounding Misfits album. Otherwise, don't give it to me. I don't want it. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I always have, uh, mixed feelings about um you know bands getting back together i guess we all have mixed feelings about that that thing that happens when <coughs> you know and, and my feelings are mixed because you know it's nice that some bands finally get a payday right i love when, that when they i'm all for together. that like circle jerk like I, yeah 100 for it right the like cj when they do that a payday hell yeah, yeah. You, they deserve a payday same thing for flag uh, but, uh, same thing for flag yeah, yeah, exactly. At lo- especially for that those musicians in that band, at last you deserve to be paid. They yeah, really got yeah. screwed. Uh, so, but the other part of me is like, with the exception of the Stooges <clears throat> reunion, that which uh, was like oh a God. religious experience for me. Uh, yeah, but like, did you I, like I those albums? Did you like those albums? The weirdness and ready to I, die. I can't say I was. Nah, I can't say I was crazy about the weirdness. Um, oh my I god! If I went back and listened, I might be able to find a couple of tracks that I liked. I'm not sure. My idea like of fun. I, I That's it. Them. Yeah, uh, but you know, for me, it was seeing them finally on stage. Yes. Right? And to make it even better, right? I didn't know who they had playing bass. <laughs> And so I'm waiting for the Stooges to come out and fucking Mike Watt walks out with them. That must have been and such it a kick felt like for you. my birthday and Christmas rolled into one. It was yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man, it just like it got better all of a sudden. You know, I got. Like, I saw oh, them twice. And it's even I saw, better. <laughs> I saw them. I saw them at Little Stevens Underground Rock Garage Festival almost 20 years ago, uh, in 2004. And with the reform, yeah, and I'll bet it had none of those mixed feelings about a band getting back together because no, it was man, amazing. They were, yeah, yeah. And Iggy, my God, best front man ever. I'll tell you, I best saw him I've on the seen. I saw him on the post pop depression tour um in 2016, and it was they played songs only from the idiot lust for life and post-pop depression and they threw in the theme to uh the theme to repo man and i was just uh, i was just a pig in shit man because i was like this yeah. is like all i mean listen i love i'll i'm, I'm down for some iggy deep cuts as well you know i i've i've, yeah. I've swam through his discography uh quite a bit same but, here same here you know, but man, the uh, those the, you know, it's like post pop depression. Uh, yeah, but that post pop depression, along with the Bowie, those Bowie Berlin albums, it was just, it, it was, I was in heaven, man, and he was great. He was really, yeah. really great. Right, Car- the Cro-Mags carpet beggar is saying the big money in the Cro-Mags reunion that will never happen, ever. I'll be honest, I'm not really interested in it. It just, uh, I'm you just know, not. I, Whatever. I actually still 
listen to Age of Quarrel every now and then, and I listen to it for the bass playing, actually. Really? Uh, there's some really, really good bass playing on that album. And, uh, like, you know, when you can hear it in the mix, uh, yeah, some of the slower songs, he's got some really nice bass lines in it. Paris the was the first part. guest. Paris was the first guest on really? Pizza Punk. Yes. Go listen wow. to Paris's episode. He's I will. Very, I will. We actually ate pizza on nice. the first episode of Pizza Punk. And I was, it was really hard. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> when, when Shane went up to New York uh, a couple of years ago to do a job, there was some sort of rap party. And when he came back, he was like, one of the Cro-Mags was there at the rap party. Apparently he's Paris. some kind of cameraman now. Yeah, yeah. that's Paris. Yeah. Yeah, Paris that's what I thought. It's like, oh, that's, yeah. What is he, a steady cam guy or something? He's a he's a steady cam, a cam operator or something like that. And he's just constantly working. And um, he has a new band called the Agros, and he shoots these very elaborate, complicated music videos. Um uh, where he's like I'll green screening himself. Yeah, check it out. It's it. It was cool. He had, yeah. he had a great. He did a great job. I was like, Paris, will you do the honor of being the first person on Pizza Punk? And it was like, it would be my pleasure. Yeah. Um, he's got some crazy guitar playing on that first yeah. album too, man. It's really, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He told a great story about how he was almost in Screaming Mad George's band, uh, The Mad. He that, almost was in that dude, band. Is yeah, one of my favorite favorite effects artists. Me too. Me yeah. too. Uh, uh, Friggin' Bride like, Reanimator, yeah. uh, Society. I'll tell you what about Screaming Mad George is for he's sort of like my ideal, right? As an effects artist, because you can see the style in it in the same way what? that if yes. you're reading a comic book. You can you know Graham Engels or Jack Davis drew that panel because that's the style and he that's how such a signature. He has yeah. such a signature. He has he is adding his own surrealist bend to yes. something that should be maybe more anatomically correct. Exactly. But he just does it? Yeah. He it's like he avoids the he avoids respecting the anatomy. In favor yes. of injecting his own surrealist bend on yes. a particular effect. And he does that in everything. He does that. If you watch the deleted scenes of Bride of Reanimator, when Meg, who's played by a different character, played not by Barbara Crampton, played by somebody else, um, she's in the opening and, you know, freshly reanimated. And he did all this. He did this crazy gag with her where she's just twists and turns and stuff. And it's like, it is that, that, that signature screaming mad George style that, yeah, you know, and then look at, look at the end of society. I mean, just like, Oh God. Yeah. The best, it's, the best. Yeah, it really is. Like all you can say about that movie is my God. Uh, yeah. Have I you ever it. seen the video of him on tube TV? Of of the mad performance at Max's Kansas City, like what he used to do, like all the gags he used to do on stage. I don't think I've seen that. No. Oh, it's no. you have to check it out. It's like it, you know, disemboweling himself on stage and pulling yeah. his guts out while he's singing. Uh, the yeah. tracks are really good too, man. Like um, uh, I hate music. Uh, 
just uh, the hell uh, fried egg, just good, yeah. really, really good, fun punk rock stuff. So, yeah, he is the ultimate. He's like the ultimate fusion of punk rock and, you know, movie making all rolled up. Into oh, absolutely. One yeah. In that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, it really you know, is. And the, the unfortunate thing is, um, you know, you can't. You, you don't really have the liberty to do that kind of art anymore uh, in a for the most part in a movie because you were serving you were serving a, a, a the vision of somebody else sure trying to accommodate that vision right where I don't know how there was a a beautiful window for special effects artists that there was room for somebody like screaming mad George to do what he fucking did. Uh, but thank goodness there was because, you know, now we've got those movies we can look back on. I mean, he just because he was operating in this really I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly the reason for that. It's because he was operating at he was operating in a market that was very, very um, solicitous of his talents in the sense of he's working in the indie art world where you know it's not like like brian yuzna is not really beholden to a studio over the special effects in that kind of way or like make it gross make it gr make it bloody yeah. make it gory that's all they care about so i mean right when you're working for a guy like brian yuzna who is such a facilitator of creative energy as well you're just i mean you, you're gonna have carte blanche you know, well, and, and practical effects artists are <clears throat> not the rock stars that they used to be during Matt George's time, right? Sure. Where sure. there was a fan base go to the movie because the practical effects artists had worked on that movie. Tony Gardner, and, Steve Johnson. Yeah. Um, oh, love Steve Johnson. Savini, of course, Rob Botin. Savini. Any out uh, the guys in K and B, obviously, who are now rock oh, yeah. stars yeah. in their own way, um, but not yeah. because it, of the, yeah, I guess they're the last, K &B. right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, and then what's his? I mean, what's his face split off from that? But like, you know, those guys worked on every. I mean, every single movie you could ima possibly imagine, cutting their teeth yeah, can on. Can you imagine Romero your film. first your first job being to work under Savini on Day of the Dead? what what a yeah. magical experience that must have been well that was okay so when he was working on day of the dead k and b had not even been formed yet they formed when they did yeah. uh evil dead 2 uh, like a right, year right. or two later that's when they 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 really i think they formed because they were got had gotten that job i don't know don't quote me on that and um yeah i mean i mean they just did i mean in fact Kutzman is the reason why we even have From Dust Till Dawn because that was his story. He went yeah. to Quentin. He traded Quentin Tarantino the 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 ear in Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino to write the screenplay for From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I remember that story from somewhere, right? And that the yeah. deal was we get to do every one of your movies after this and they oh, have, I didn't even right? know that but yeah they most certainly I think that's what did. it was I, I I think they 
they've been with him ever since. <laughs> they did. They most certainly did. Uh, I'm sure they did Grindhouse. I know that they did uh, Kill Bill. I know that they did from Dawn, obviously. Greg Nicotero yeah. and Tom Savini are both in from Dawn. Right, right. Um, I'm and, pretty sure it's always K and B in, in uh in uh the Tarantino movies. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean they've they really they sort of are you know at least or on, hell on he even gets level. Nicotero gets killed in um in Glorious Bastards. He's he's the the Nazi in bed. Oh, uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. There's like a he's been in the movie for like one second, but you see him get murdered in uh in bed by uh i think it may be by the nazi who kills nazis the german soldier who starts killing right. nazis uh yeah nicotero is one of the the victims of that you know it's funny i really want to re-watch inglorious bastards because i just watched kill bill the whole bloody affair the uh as the the whole thing and just like in awe of that movie and it's and especially the special effects all of that, you know, exaggerated uh, Japanese uh, samurai, you know, blood, yeah. you know, where they cut off the arm and yeah. it squirts everywhere, all exaggerated and whatnot. Just such a fun, what, what, talk yeah. about a fun, really, really fun gags. Uh, that stuff is just I, great. I tell you what, though, like uh, writing wise, I think for, for me, the last two are the best. Uh, the really? Writing of the writing of the hateful eight and once upon a time in Hollywood is my favorite Tarantino writing. Yeah. I have to go back. So I have to go. So here's the thing. Oh, here's my rule. When it comes to Tarantino and I love Tarantino, I think kill bill for me, I think kill bill was his Zenith as a cohesive filmmaker, meaning the everything involved in the movie making process. I think that his films start to, fly apart in some way shape or form uh post kill bill like co bill kill bill is the last time that he created a truly cohesive cinematic arc from start to finish and then everything else like for instance inglorious bastards has some of the finest tarantino scenes he's ever written ever written the the basement Except scene for the weird david bowie music video part which should have just been cut <laughs> entirely oh my god that was really bizarre but yeah. you know the scene in the basement that whole dialogue exchange the opening Brilliant. where yeah. they're where they're hiding under the floorboards uh, the building of tension yeah yeah this is some of his finest screenplay writing all of the all of the scenes in hateful eight are great in the stagecoach particularly you know, talking about the letter, the Abraham Lincoln letter, like all this stuff is great, but well, that's what I mean. The writing. I, I mean, I, I love, I love the writing of that movie. Right. But as a cohesive cinematic film from start to finish, in my personal opinion, I feel like Inglorious Bastards feels more like a cobbled together miniseries and hateful eight to an extent is more, more cohesive than Inglorious Bastards is. But you look at like Django, which literally it's like the movie kind of ends in the, at the end of the second act. It's like crazy. Like it, it's yeah. just so, it's so bizarre. You're thinking, Oh, well he's going to rally all the other slaves to go and, you know, overtake the estate. No, he doesn't like, I'm like, so what, what is going on here? You know, it just sort of didn't really make sense. And then 
once upon a time in Hollywood, um, there are moments, there are scenes like the Spawn Ranch is some of the finest horror. Like, God, that's so, great. So it's, great. That, that's the centerpiece of the movie, that Spawn Ranch stuff. It is so yeah. spooky. Oh, it's just it's just tremendous. But then and I'm I'm of course obsessed with Matson. I've been obsessed with Matson since I was a kid in the 70s. So so but then to flip the flip side of that, the flip side of that for me is then we get these insanely long driving sequences in the Hollywood Hills. We get this super insider cinematic baseball about like you know the fictional filmography of 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 a cowboy star making film Italian films. I mean, it is insider. Like you really have to know your shit yeah. to know what he's paying homage yeah. to. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. how is this? Like this is all great, but is this a cohesive yeah. movie from start to finish? In the same way that Reservoir Dogs feels like a movie from start to finish. And so yeah. I feel like a lot of his later films are so like he doesn't have anybody to tell him no. He just does whatever the fuck he wants, and rightfully so. He's Quentin motherfucking Tarantino. But yeah. it's just like, like you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Which I also think I'm going to revisit after I do Bastards. I think I'm going to revisit that. Um, That's a fun movie. I've only seen it once in the theater. I have not revisited it yet. Um, but it's just, it is so, it's a mess in terms of like, it's just all over the place. Like, like it just, there's no, it's like Tarantino was like, I want this to be a pastiche of Hollywood in the 60s in my alternate universe. But there's no like overarching theme that sort of drives the movie. Like, look at Kill Bill. That movie is driven by Uma Thurman needing to kill Bill. That is there. No matter what <laughs> detour we take, the whole movie yeah. can be summed up as if you want to sum up that whole movie, kill Bill. What how do yeah. you sum up once upon a time in Hollywood? You can't really. It's just all it's yeah. so much shit. There's so much going yeah. on. And so that's what I mean by like losing his ability to have a cohesive cinematic vision because he's so bacchanal in his overindulgence, his wonderful overindulgence, I might add, but yeah. overindulgence nonetheless, that it just becomes like, what are we watching? Like, what is this? You know, that's, yeah. that's what I feel. That's where I get lost in the sauce. I feel like he gets lost in the sauce and um, yeah. you know, hateful eight, listen, hateful eight was great in the sense that like, I mean, it's like literally like, hey, I want to tell the story of the thing, but let's do it in the old yeah. West. That's fucking and awesome. And put Kurt Russell in it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Like you can't like literally like the, the what I love about the Hateful Eight is that it's like it's just it's wonderful escapism. It's like strap in yeah. for this three hour plus ride, you know, yeah. in the snow. Yeah. And it's a play, basically. It's a it's play. Like, yes. Pull off making a play that long and having it that entertaining for three hours because he's he is he may not he may not i don't he's not the best filmmaker he's not the best filmmaker in hollywood but by gosh darn it he's one of the best screenwriters that ever lived and he's oh, one of the best yeah, absolutely. he's uh, correction correction he's one of the best scene writers who yeah. ever lived He's taking all of and these I'll influences. Admit, I, I'm, I'm easily seduced by good writing, you know. Sure. And, and it could be that that my, uh, my my love of those last two movies. It's it's really about the writing, uh, and uh, sure. I'm I'm 
I'm, I'm very wooed by a lot of those scenes in those movies. But when you, but, and you're focused on the micro, but when you pull back to the macro of it all, you're left with these very sort of, in my opinion, personally, I'm left watching this like, what is this? What is this big? This is like, this feels more like, this could be like an HBO miniseries yeah. that like is handling like, and if really when you look at say once upon a time in Hollywood is almost like, it's almost like it's, it's its own pulp fiction in a way with all these different stories you have, you have, uh, and that yes, they all yeah. kind of come together at the end, but you have, you got Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, trip. You got uh, Margot. Uh, you got uh, what's her face? Um, fuck. Uh, who got murdered? Uh, but doesn't get murdered in the thing. Um, why is Sharon, oh, uh, Sharon Tate? Sharon, Sharon Tate. Tate. Yeah. If Sharon Tate's trip, like everybody's like kind of like got their own thread, you know, yeah. and we're just sort yeah. of weaving. You're, you're sort of weaving through it. I mean, that's what he kind of does. But it's like. It's still, it's very, uh, it's just very amorphous. It doesn't really, yeah. it doesn't, I can't sum up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the way I can go kill Bill or the way. Uh, you know, I, I, you're making me want to go back and give Kill Bill another shot too. I don't uh, know. Listen, I think I've only watched the, that all of them once. It is, it's his masterpiece. It's his greatest cinematic achievement, Kill Bill. It's, it's my favorite. It's so, and you know, I, I've now watched it as a as a singular film in the whole bloody affair, and I've also seen it as volumes one and two, and it works great. You know, Kill Bill works as volumes one and two. It works great because it's Kill Bill. Uh, volume one is all Kill, and Volume two is all Bill, and it it works really well in that kind of way. Um, the first one feels like a you know Lady Snowblood, and the second one is like a Western. You know, yeah. uh, you just like it's like you go out west. It's just, uh, it really is Tarantino at the height of his powers, firing at on all cylinders, weaving all of these incredible influences together into this, you know, cultural potpourri as like a yeah. as like a pop culture DJ in the most perfect way. Hmm. And you know, it's an extension of what he did in Reservoir Dogs, and obviously, Pulp Fiction is a its own kind of potpourri in that it's not really it's there is no real cohesive storyline in the same way that yeah. that once upon a time in hollywood doesn't have a cohesive storyline but it somehow feels more cohesive than once upon a once upon a time in hollywood to me personally yeah so you know um i'm kind of losing my voice right now i probably gonna have to <laughs> Sorry, land man. this airplane no don't apologize I, uh, I i love doing this i love talking kevin you're awesome dude man i'm really glad to oh, have you on the you. show um we definitely when we do like uh, at some point i want to do a round table top five we do like mm -hmm. top five our top five favorite whatever we'll have you on for that that'll be fun oh yeah anytime man anytime cool cool um well, it's good talking to you, Jeff. Dude, oh, this is fucking, I mean, this is fucking great. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else we we left, uh, any open ends that we left. We have Angus in the comments saying, the only Tarantino movie I have not seen is Once Upon a Time. I have heard a lot of bad reviews of that movie. Listen, don't get me wrong. Once Upon a Time, I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. I'm just saying that it feels no, I love it. If you... Yeah. You absolutely should see it, and you will. Add, there are so many great scenes. 
that movie crescendos in some of the finest. I don't even want to say, I don't want to spoil it for you, but like, you know, you have such wonderful. Um, and you know, the thing that Quentin Tarantino does incredibly well in all of his films is that the violence, some people used to really be afraid of the violence or like, you know, they'd grimace at the violence. His violence is very slapstick. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost vaudevillian yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, in the same way that evil dead's violence is, well, you know, the, stages, uh, you know, the ass kicking that Brad Pitt gives to, um, to the, to the, uh, the Clem character, on Spawn right. Ranch, total slapstick. Yeah, totally. And frankly, the ending is slapstick as well. I won't want to say anything more about it because I don't want to yeah. spoil it. But no. the ending is slapstick as well. And you don't look at it. You don't look at Tarantino violence with horror, even though people used to like really give him shit for his violence. And it's like, really, how could you like? even be mad at Tarantino for his kind of violence considering all of the horror movies that are way more horrifically violent than what he's doing. Yeah. Well, I'm I personally I'm far more <laughs> bothered by uh misogyny in movies than I am by violence sure. in movies. I'm I'm not going to name names, but there's a particular horror director that I am sick and tired of seeing uh uh rape scenes that you're supposed to chuckle at uh in a in a particular director's uh or guffaw at uh all right now you have to tell me when we get off the air you're gonna tell me who who, who you're talking about i, I don't want to talk shit but especially since i you know <laughs> well, i uh, i'm curious i kind of yeah. sort of work in the industry right so i don't i don't yeah. want to go bitching about particular but you know like I, i'm more bothered by that stuff than i am by fair by enough because uh, you know that's the for me that's the the real stuff <coughs> um we're gonna end the show this was a great show i want to thank my guest kevin uh Thanks, check out sir. his mask shop everybody the link is down in the comments the etsy shop again i didn't even know this these are hand painted handcrafted masks that Kevin makes with um, he, just in the way that people bake with love. Kevin bakes with love. Absolutely. And, right. They bake bakes with love. Yeah. Um, so, you know, check, check out his shop down, down in the links below. I'll also put it in the first comment. We'll pin it, pin it to the top. Check out that shop. It's pretty cool. And um, we'll, we'll have Kevin back on in some way, shape or form in the future. I just really want to thank him again for his time and just coming on and, doing this talk and um, just finding out more, more what makes Kevin tick and whatnot. Um, so thank you, Kevin. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to end the show. We say peace and hair grease. That's how we, that's how we, <laughs> how we leave. Okay. Uh, peace oh, and hair grease. Peace and hair grease. I, I want to say two things. I totally forgot one Coming up on Thursday, we are doing a show about Greg Graffin from Bad Religion and his views on early punk documentaries and what they get right and wrong. So that'll be very interesting. And then next week, I am super excited to have as guests on Pizza Punk, my favorite obsession right now, The Bad Nerves are coming on. The Bad Nerves, who I discovered through Spotify. They are the Ramones by way of the strokes, by way of the buzzcocks, by way of Jay Riotard. 
So if you like any of that kind of music, you are going to love Bad Nerves. They're actually Bad Nerves, not The Bad Nerves. Their self-titled album is just a... Talk about self-titled albums that are on fire. This album is on fire. I mean, I've listened to this thing a hundred times all the way through. 27 minutes. You know, they kind of mark try to market themselves as like uh, power pop or whatever, but they're not. They're like garage punk by way of, you know, Buzzcocks, poppy songwriting with, you know, rem that Ramones driving Marky Ramone beat with uh, the Strokes and the Dolls and just they are they are tremendous and that album is so well produced so well recorded I, I can't wait to talk to them about how they made this album so that's on tuesday oh kevin you have to listen to this album uh that's on tuesday so check that out that is not to be missed it's going to be at a funky time because they're over in the uk but i'm so glad that they have agreed to come on the show can't wait to speak to them all right peace and hair grease kevin hang on for a second and we're right. out